Friends, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. It's the first book in the Bible. And I especially invite you to open to Genesis chapter 29, verses 13 through 30. Genesis 29, 13 through 30. The sermon title today is No Tricks. Although this is one of the passages, particularly a famous one, of a pretty well-known trickster named Jacob. And this is Jacob's interactions with his uncle Laban, who it turns out is also a trickster. It's a family trait, isn't it? It's gone down through the line. There was times where um, Abram traveling with Sarah, his wife, would lie because he was worried that if anybody found her too attractive, they would kill him and take his wife. So he would say, oh, she's my sister. Abram did some tricking. Jacob has been a trickster, and he's pretty good at deceiving people to get what he wants. And he has tricked his brother Esau, first out of his birthright, and then with his mother's help, Jacob has tricked his brother Esau out of his father's blessing. And Esau, understandably, with no inheritance, with no blessing, is ready to kill his brother Jacob. And so Jacob also at the advice of his mother, flees to Padam Aran, the land of Jacob's uncle Laban, where there, after all of the tricks and deception that he has pulled off in his homeland, he can instead get a fresh start with his uncle Laban and start over. But you know what? When two tricksters get together, they just keep tricking each other. And so we're going to pick up in Genesis 29, verse 13, when basically Jacob has just arrived uh, with only that which he could carry because he had to leave in haste. And here we find Jacob in Padam Aran being received by his uncle Laban. Now, it is my last Sunday before sabbatical. And so the elders did ask, is this going to be the shortest sermon ever because you're checked out? I was like, well, or it could be really long. Because if you get mad about a long sermon, you got three months to cool off about that before you see me again. We'll see what happens. The ice cream will be in the freezer until the last moment, so it won't melt. So just rest that out of your mind. But there is also, um, not be out of any tricks, the sermon title is No Tricks, um, but out of my own sense of humor, I've been here a little over seven years. And, uh, well, this is the story of seven years of the passing of time in between some tricks. So I reiterate to you, no tricks. But let's read the word of the Lord about Jacob and Laban and these seven years and another seven years together. But before we do so, let's pray for God's blessing upon the word. Lord, you are the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path. By your Holy Spirit, you open the scriptures to us. You take these words, these ink on page or pixel on screen, and you bring them to life in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we read about Jacob and Laban and Leah and Rachel, those who have been gone for thousands of years, yet their stories live on today because you, O Lord, use your word to teach us, to guide us, to instruct us, and to demonstrate your love for us both when we get it right and how you love us, even when we get it wrong. 
open your word to us. Speak to us your truth as only you can by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and illuminating, opening the word, shedding light upon it into our hearts today. In your name we pray, O Christ. Amen. Genesis 29, beginning at verse 13. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. No tricks. Wouldn't that be a better world to live in? Wouldn't a world with the lack of deception and scheming and clever words and, and sneaky maneuvers be a better world for us all to live in? God thinks so. We can read that order and design in God's law. And yet we, by human nature, some of us better than others at this are tricksters. Those who can use deceit to get what they want. And trickery and deceit tear at the fabric of relationships. And they break things and they can make the world a mess. What if we lived in a world of no deceit, of no tricks, of no bait-and-switch or false advertising, no lies, no false testimony, just honesty, integrity, 
that people do what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it in the manner that it's meant to be done. That is a good threefold version of integrity, and it's not original to me. Can't we just keep our word, do what we say we're going to do when we said we would do it in the manner it was meant to be done, and when we don't keep our word, can't we own that and say, hey, here's what I messed up, I want to know the impact on you, and I want to make this right so we can move forward. Wouldn't that be a better world to live in? And of course, we know rhetorically in our minds, yes, absolutely. But it's not, is it? This episode is in Scripture because we are to learn from this just as much as anything else in Scripture. And when, when we're young, for my grandma's funeral yesterday, spending time in my home church, I was in the, the primary department in the same room where I learned Bible stories and sang songs when I was like, little. And when I was this short, I was like really young. We learn the content. We learn the books of the Bible. We learn the characters. We learn kind of what goes with what things. And we continue, I think, lifelong to grow in our knowledge of Scripture of what's where, what happened, and what does it all mean. But there's a point in maturity where we grow and we continue to learn the content. That's a lifelong goal, right? We continue to learn content, but we also learn a mature critique, and that puts us in touch with the other things that God wants us to learn. God intends for us to learn not just from the shining examples of people who got it right, but also God wants us to learn in wisdom from other people's mistakes, how the actions and other, of others have consequences, and how those consequences bring us away from right relationship, of loving our neighbor as ourself, and of living that full-hearted life of loving the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jacob is one of those characters that we learn some shining things from, but we also learn, hopefully, in wisdom from Jacob's mistakes of how this is not how things are meant to be. This whole episode has started because Jacob likes getting what he wants, and he has tricked Esau. He has tricked his own father involved in this, and now it's kind of caught up with him. Our actions have consequences, so he flees to Padamaran. But here the trickster gets tricked. And I wonder if Jacob might have, on his, on his escape route to Laban, I wonder if he might have been ready to get a fresh start and to stop being such a trickster. But then Laban tricks Jacob. And if you know the rest of the story, if not, spend some time this week reading it. Jacob and Laban just go into full-on trickster mode from here on out. Jacob will essentially rob Laban, according to Laban's own terms, of some of his wealth. Jacob will build himself up. And even in, well, we kind of come to history repeating itself, when Jacob flees away from Laban, as he fled away from his brother Esau, now he flees from his uncle, there's going to be some trickery involved there, including trickery done by Rachel. It doesn't mean not to trust people named Rachel. <clears throat> but no tricks, though. As adult learners, as students of Scripture, can we look at this and say, with some curiosity, some criticism, and some wisdom from other pieces of Scripture, say, Jacob, Laban, life could have been so much better 
If you two could have worked together, if you two could have given up being tricksters and getting what you want, if you two could have been honest with each other for just a minute, your life could have been so much better. Your honesty could have made you both wealthy and powerful. Your combined forces, your intellects, your gifts could have made you an amazing powerhouse of the region. But instead, because their relationship was based on deceit and one tricking the other back and forth, the fabric of their relationship is torn. And Jacob kind of makes up with Esau, one of my favorite verses from all of Genesis, to see your face is as if to see the face of God in a moment of forgiveness, the way God forgives us. But there's really no reconciliation with Laban. There's flight and escape because our actions have consequences. And we, as the readers, thousands of years later say, you guys could have had such a better life if it weren't for all of your tricks. And it's not just Jacob and Laban that are hurt by this, right? Our actions in one relationship have ripple effects on those around us. Rachel and Leah are pawns in this game. And you notice that there's something, there's a little nuance in Scripture. Because women did not have greatly high standing in the ancient Near East. They are Laban, Rachel and Leah are Laban's property until the time of marriage. Do you notice that in verse 26, Laban replies, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, this daughter. He doesn't even call her by name. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we'll give you the younger one also. But God, God still cares. For Jacob and Laban, even though they're tricksters, God protects Jacob through God's grace and covenant that he made. God still loves Jacob through his trickery and deceit. And I think the way the scripture is written, it reminds us that God also loves Rachel and Leah. Because God does have a special heart for those who are hurting, for those who are suffering, especially for those who are suffering by no fault of their own. Jacob did so, verse 28. He finished the week with Leah. Oh, she's got a name again. Because God, as the narrator, is talking. Then Laban gave him, gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Then they have names again. Because for Laban, it was a really good trick. And his daughters, they're just pawns in his trickery. God still cares, and especially cares, for those who are hurting, for those who are suffering, especially of those whose suffering is not of their own making. The victims here. Jacob and Laban, they deserve each other. And Leah and Rachel, I think they deserve better. When Jacob and Laban first meet and Jacob explains this whole mess that he got into, Laban says to him, you are my own flesh and blood. And I think that doesn't mean just, hey, I'm your uncle, you're my nephew, we're related. But I think in Jacob retelling his story of how he got to this point, I think Laban is like, oh, you're just like me, aren't you? You're a trickster. You're good at doing this game, aren't you? But that doesn't come out until later, does it? Laban's pretty good. He gets, and he first appears generous, right? You shouldn't work for me for free. What should your wages be? I want your daughter. My cousin. That's kind of weird. Let's not think about that too much. This is a different day and age. 
You also notice that multiple wives is just kind of a normal thing too. So be very careful when you talk about, oh, we need to get back to biblical marriage. Like, well, not this one. We're marrying two cousins. And then, because Rachel and Leah are affected by this ripple effect of deceit and trickery, they're competing against each other, doing some of their own trickery because it's what's been modeled for them, probably by their father and now by their husband. And so they use their servants because they're competing to crank out the most sons. And so Bilha and Zilpah become pawns in this game too. And they are given over to Jacob so that he can have sex with them, so that hopefully they can produce a few sons. And this is one more thing to add to the list of why slavery is wrong. Jacob and Laban, their effect, even turning these two sisters against each other and their own competition, because Leah knows that Jacob loves Rachel more. And she will do anything to compete to gain some of his favor. This is not fair, we say, as the reader. And then we ask God, hold up Scripture as a mirror. Show me, Lord, where have I not been fair? Where have I been a member of the trickery club? Where have I practiced deceit? Where have I not loved the Lord and my neighbor wholeheartedly? But where have I just maintain some functional relationships so that they would benefit me, but not in a loving way that I would pour into anyone. You are my flesh and my blood. We're the same, you and I, and they're still loved by God. But man, life could have been so much better for Jacob and Laban. Life could have been so much better for Leah and Rachel and Bilhah and Zilpah. It could have been better for all of but it wasn't. And we lament that, and we hopefully learn from that in wisdom. And I wonder if, if Laban would have just been honest. I promise I'll give this up in a little bit, but it's the whole point. If Laban could have been honest from the get-go with Jacob, and been like, hey, you know what? In this land, it's our custom to, that we can't, we can't marry the younger daughter before the older daughter. I, I can't let you marry Rachel before Leah is married. What if Laban would have just said, would you marry her too? Two for one. I wonder if Jacob could have turned over a new leaf and said, all right, that makes sense. I wonder if they could have been honest, if there could have been a whole different dynamic, but instead it's deception. It is deception. And I wonder how often Jacob looked at Leah and he, and he looked at her, and her face reminded him that Laban got the best of him. Nobody tricks Jacob except Laban. And Leah's face reminds him that he got one-upped by his uncle. I wonder what that did to the marriage between Jacob and Leah. Well, we don't have to wonder. We kind of get the details from Scripture. It wasn't great. Could have been better. We can imagine a better future, and we could spend a long time, and pastors that are just in pre-sabbatical mode could lecture a long time about all the interesting details of this text, and we could cross our arms and put our feet up and say, could have been better. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But what 
good is it for us to critique those who have been dead for thousands of years if we do not put into practice the idea that we can do better by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, by being united to Christ, that we can do better, that we can be people of honest integrity who can say what we mean and be forthright and honest and be aware of all the meaning-making that we make of past relationships and past hurts and how we read that all into the current situation if we could just be mindful enough to suspend all of that be plain and honest with one another. And you know what I think that would look like? It would look like people loving one another. And you know what? That would make the world a lot more just. Because justice is what love looks like in public action, where we love our neighbor as ourself. It creates a just society based not on trickery, not on deception, not on deceit, not on clever language and rhetoric, not on deception and clever maneuvers, but on honest love that I seek your flourishing, that marriages at their best should be about pursuing your spouse's flourishing. Embrace, invest in that. This is not a mechanical relationship that just needs to function so as to be maintained like my 95 Taurus, but rather it should be like cars that we care about more, but we should not just care about cars. Those should be maintained, not loved, the way we should love people. Love people, use things, don't love things and use people. There's plenty of examples of people loving things and using people in Scripture. And God calls us to learn from it and do better. That is a lifelong pursuit, though. That is a lifelong practice of mindfulness, to be aware of how we react to people, to calm ourselves, and to be square and honest. So, good luck. How do we all do that well? We have to practice it, don't we? Not only practice it, but similar to the, the nurtured heart training um, that Allison Brower had led some of our volunteers through, we need to celebrate the moments where children get it right. And Scripture actually celebrates the moments where we get it right. And God celebrates the moments when you get it right. And so for my own part, I want to practice that a little bit today. No tricks. I am leaving on sabbatical for three months. And I am immeasurably blessed by you for that gift. Because, no tricks, this has been seven years, seven years for a sabbatical. Months ago, somebody in a consistory meeting joked, well, then if you get a sabbatical, do you work another seven years? It was kind of the Jacob Laban thing. And I would say, I am totally up for that. Now, we do not know. We cannot make promises that, that we do not have the information of. We do not know the number of our days. We do not know how God calls. But when I think about North Holland Reformed Church, I think seven and three quarters years in, next seven, sign me up. That sounds great. Some of you might be like, oh, shucks. <laughs> We were hoping you were reconsidering this. And maybe you're so lucky if you're in that camp that one of those, I have my secret seven of people who I think will tell me when my time here is done. And they don't all know who they are. No tricks. <laughs> maybe I should tell them. I don't know. Some of them know. But no tricks. I am grateful for the last 
seven and three quarters years. It'll be eight years. When I get back from sabbatical in August, my first Sunday preaching will be the eight-year anniversary of my installation as pastor, which means that it has been 11 years that Caitlin and I have been here because I came here my first year of seminary. And that's why it will be actually difficult to be gone for three months. It will be good, but it will be difficult because this isn't just my job that I worked seven years for a sabbatical. North Holland is our lifestyle. I was told by a friend, hang out with your friends who aren't from church. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) There's a list. Okay, that maybe tells me something to work on. But what's this all about? Sabbatical is a time of personal renewal and professional development. It is a time to read, to study, to pray, to attend to spiritual disciplines, and in all honesty with no tricks, to spend time with my kids that I don't always spend as much time with. It is a time for personal renewal that I get to go off to a cabin on a remote island that we got the grant money from the RCA to pay for to spend a week in solitude. And it gives an opportunity for Caitlin and I to go on a great trip for our 12-year anniversary. It is those things. It is the ongoing work of my continuing education and the research project around leadership and development and design. Because if I ever tricked you, North Holland, it was when I was a candidate and I was like, yes, I think I can be a leader. And thanks be to God that there were a lot of other people who knew better and could walk alongside of me. Because church is not about just the pastor. It is the communion of saints. It is all of us working together. We could not have done a building project if it was all on me because I was like 20-something years old and dumb. Honestly. But we did because we did it together. Because we did it with honesty. Because we did it with no tricks. Because people didn't hold money hostage over getting their way. Because we didn't do the Jacob and Laban route. We were honest. We shared collective vision and we bought into it and we pursued it. And thanks be to God that we could probably pay off that mortgage this year. We did that. We endured COVID together. And that was hard. And there's still unresolved pain, sure. And there's been fabric of relationships that still is maybe a little threaded because of that. And yet, collectively as a church, what we also need to be mindful of is that we as a congregation are outside of survival mode. And there are plenty of congregations that are wondering, are we going to bounce back from this or not? We're not there, thanks be to God and to the fabric of our relationships. So our better pressing question is, what's next? What does God have on the horizons for us? And I'm excited to both in continuing education and in my own prayer and solitude time, dream about And I'm excited in three months to come back and hear your dreams about that too. Because you know what changes Jacob more than anything else? It's a dream that he has. It's a vision. And not just some hallucinatory effect because he's fatigued and hungry. But it's a dream where God intervenes. What's the dream for North Holland that we have of God intervening here and showing us the way forward? And then all of us, through no trickery or deceit or clever moves of informing one another, praying together, and spending time with one another, that we catch that vision together and move forward. Isn't that the better life, the cut above, the Jacob Laban that we all want? And can't we live into it here? And I am grateful for you. 
Because receiving a sabbatical to do the work that I get to do, to have the space, is a gift. And it shows that as a congregation, you're not just seeking my functionality. You maintain it if you need it to function. All right, cool. But this is a gift. This is a great gift that is only given in love and should only be received in love. And I'll tell you, and the sabbatical team can tell you, that I actually felt really guilty and weird about this for a few months because I was worried that like, the conversation I would have between then and now would be, oh, so you're not going to do your job for three months? And I'd be like, I feel awkward enough about it. Don't make it worse. But instead, you, in honesty and truth of word, have encouraged me along the way to this point that I can receive this gift and know that feeling guilty and weird about it doesn't help North Holland, doesn't help me. But to embrace this time and make it count to come back ready and excited to catch vision together. I'm up for that. God, what do you have next for North Holland? And how did that come about? Through honesty. Through truth-telling in relationships. And maybe it was Maundy Thursday service, walking up the steps, and Dave Rock asks, hey, we're getting pretty close to your sabbatical. Are you excited? And I was like, I want to be, but I still feel weird about it. Or maybe it was getting a collection of church candy from Andrew and Charlie Leach telling me to enjoy eating candy during church this summer because I can, because we laughed about that during the children at the table class. Or maybe it was the Camp Heist conversations in the multi-purpose room or the Brower conversations on the ball diamond. Or maybe it was the constant coaching of the sabbatical team. Or maybe it was just all of that. Maybe it was every conversation along the way. In, tra- in grace and truth and honesty. Maybe it was all of them. Maybe that's the grace as unmerited favor that we get to celebrate, experience, and enjoy. Maybe it's all of those things. I think it is. And I am grateful for it. And I'm excited to come back. And with no tricks. Just waiting for what God will do next. And excited for that. Maybe, secretly, you all are tricking me. Boy, if I wake up tomorrow... And I get an email like, hey, by the way, that sabbatical is actually severance. You're gone. Then and only then could I identify with Jacob who woke up in the morning and went, Leah? (laughs) For the folks online, for the folks online who wouldn't have heard that, Chuck Brower just said, but you're not supposed to check your email, though. Oh, man, it's so good to be caught. But isn't it so good to be caught in the honesty of relationships that have integrity and the foundation of love where we pursue one another's flourishing because we care for each other and we need not trick each other, we need not keep each other functional or maintained, but rather we can love one another and pursue our mutual flourishing and we do all of this under the umbrella of God's grace. That's what Jacob and Laban missed out on, but by God's grace and, and our love for one another that we got from God, we don't have to miss out on that. Amen? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the examples of our brothers and sisters in faith who got it right 
who showed us the way, who showed us courage, curiosity, holiness, and righteousness and integrity. We give you thanks for the shining examples of faith. And Lord, we give you thanks for the examples that you included in Scripture to show, nope, this is real. This is real life of real people. And people and relationships are messy and sometimes messed up. Thank you, Lord, that we can receive the gift of these characters unvarnished, no veneer pasted over them to make them shinier than they need to be, but that we see your covenant of grace loving them even through their failures and faults, and we see your purposes ultimately worked out, and we see this in your Son, Jesus Christ, the only lamb without blemish, the only character in Scripture in all 66 books that was indeed perfect, because you, O Lord, are perfect. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for the gift that we can learn from, with, and in spite of all of your children, and that we can hold up the mirror and look at the best and worst moments of the history of your people and say, yep, that's us too. Help us to do better, God, but not just for performance to do better, but to do better in love. God, for this we pray in earnest that we can live into a world that doesn't have to have the tricks, the deception, and all of that other yuck and stuff. God, thank you that we can pursue that world, that better world, that better way of life that you intended for us. One relationship at a time, one conversation at a time, as we love you and love our neighbor as ourself. As we go into a time of congregational prayer, um, we certainly want to celebrate with the Nordheis family, um, another grandchild for Mark and Pam, um, that Anders and Emma um, are celebrating the birth of Maggie Lou, their first. So congratulations to the Nordheises. We're mindful of birthdays and celebrations, and we are also um, mindful once again, tragically as we are, of yet another shooting in Buffalo, New York, another end of life, another incident of not love and pursuit of the flourishing of our neighbor, but of hate and of death. We hold this and will hold this in prayer before the Lord also with the word that God gave us of lament, of saying we hold these things before you, God, as well and say, could not it be better? We hold this before the Lord in prayer as well. Let's pray. God, on this day, we celebrate healing from surgeries. We celebrate treatments that can go well. We celebrate the flourishing of a community. We celebrate the faithfulness that you have shown to this church. We celebrate a birthday. We celebrate the end of another program year and of the learning and investment and the pursuit of our young people's flourishing that has been done in children and worship and Sunday school and Kids Quest and Riot and RCYF and The Crossing. Lord, we thank you for this investment that we can have to pursue the flourishing of the next generation of disciples where our young people are not the future of the church, they are the church right now. God, we thank you for this, and we thank you for occasions to celebrate. But even as we celebrate, 
We celebrate with ice cream that we know comes from the gift following a funeral. We We lament before you loss of life. We grieve before you. Perhaps the baseball games that we'll have this year without one of our biggest fans. We lament the loss of life, whether it be a recent or less recent funeral, that there will be family get-togethers and summer activities with an empty chair and with an empty place in our hearts. God, we grieve before you the shooting in Buffalo for death, for hatred, for violence that has taken life for no other reason than hatred. God, we lament this before you. Lord, we pray for a better and different world. But this will only come if we can be mindful and attentive to your way, to our own souls, that we can make the world a better place.